Podcast of the Cinema. What's your name? Alonzo Duraldi. What's your name? I thought you were going to do both of us. Well, this is why we should have show prep, I guess. We have show prep. I sit here doing all kinds of show prep with my little notes. Well, then maybe your little but notes then we wing should it. include... The, well, that's we what winging it, it the, looks like. We wing it on the intro. This is what winging lo- it looks like, Dave White. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I'm Dave White. Uh, you're we're, Alonzo Duraldi. We're both film critics. We are film critics. This is the show... And uh, good afternoon Hello. to you. Uh, I know everyone is very excited to hear us talk about uh, Spider-Man Across the Universe and Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer and Barbie. Not today. Ho, 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 ho. None of it. None of it. You wait. We're getting there. We promise. You just wait. You keep waiting. <laughs> So the other day, uh, when we were recording uh, one of our Patreon podcasts, Mm -hmm. uh, Linoleum Nights, I brought up the subject of narrative scarcity. And it's an idea that I read about uh, in a piece that I was reading, and I wish I could remember where I read it. Uh, I'll go back and find it and and report back on its source. (laughs) But it's the idea that, you know, we can only focus on one thing at a time. And when I say we, I mean... Human beings. No. Oh. The media uh, and, uh, and our, and our uh, collective attention span. Right. So that the only film to talk about this week, the only films to talk about this mm-hmm. week, are Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. No other films exist. Not the other films that are playing in your local multiplex, not the films that are playing in your local art house, if you happen to have one, if you do, you're lucky. Those films don't exist. (laughs) We can only think about and talk about this one thing for a fixed amount of time, and then we have to stop talking about it because everyone's tired of talking about it. Yes, because then the backlash is set in. Yeah, we got to have some backlash happening. (laughs) All right. And I'm, I am, I am not uh, for this. <laughs> I am for other ways of discussing uh, culture, and therefore, those films. This was a big idea I had the other day. Mm. <laughs> uh, the logistical reason is that I'm still catching up on these other films. Right. I saw Mission Impossible yesterday. I'm going to see. My tickets are already purchased. I, I, I'm seeing Oppenheimer tomorrow yes. morning. Uh, I'm seeing Barbie Friday morning. Yes. And you need to tell me where your ticket is so that I may join you. What if I don't tell you? What about that? Right. I'll what, go, I'll go you... see it with all my other friends, and won't we have a great time? <laughs> I told, uh, when we were walking out of Mission Impossible yesterday, I'll go with Skipper and PJ. I, I, uh, I went with friend and neighbor Gary Cotty to see Mission Impossible. Uh, 
And as we were walking out, uh, the lobby of the AMC Grove was uh, populated by Barbie people. You know they are Barbie people because they're all wearing pink. Some of them are dressed exactly like a Barbie doll. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of them are just the gays (laughs) in pink T-shirts with the sleeves cut off. On a Monday morning. This is on a, well, at this point it was a Monday afternoon. Okay, still. And, uh, you know, it's the summertime. Uh, Lots of people at the movies in the summertime all in the day. This was apparently a record-breaking Monday at the box office. Oh, was it? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, there, there you go. Um... And I said to Gary, I said, well, you know, I do have this uh, pink Brooks Brothers button-down shirt mm-hmm. that's n- newish, yeah. actually. I haven't worn it yet. You know, we uh, pink is a, you know, classic color sure. in the in the Brooks Brothers button-down uh, repertoire. I'm going to say you will not be happy wearing that shirt, given its relative heaviness in this you, weather. You are crazy because yesterday uh, weather was the same as it will be on Friday and mm-hmm. I wore the blue button down. Okay. And I was happy and fine. Okay. Fine and happy. You do you. I was content. The air, the AC in the movie theater is sweet. The mornings uh, are still fine here in our lovely city. I feel so constantly... The afternoons are very warm. I feel so yes. constantly hot when I walk outside and do anything for two seconds and yes. come back in. Yes. That it's to the point where like I would watch that scene at the end of The Empire Strikes Back where Han yeah. Solo gets put into the carbonite yeah. and be like, ooh, ah. Ooh. I'm going to tell you something right now. You need to get it together and toughen up because it's not even hot here yet. Well, I'm already miserable. Compared to the rest of the country, we're having a cold snap. It's merely in the 80s. Right now in Los Angeles. And that ain't, that's not even enough for the AC. I know it's going to get worse, but I'm just saying, I'm already uncomfortable. Okay. Well, how about you think about stop uh, stopping being a big giant baby? Maybe I'm uncomfortable because I'm not getting the kind of support I need at home. <laughs> <laughs> Did I not just recently purchase the Rowenta... Turbo Silence Extreme Plus. You did do that. This is not an ad, by the way. We're just so happy. We just like it. We're just so happy with it. <laughs> it's on now. Can you hear it? You cannot. You Well, they probably can hear well, it. Maybe. You can probably hear the whoosh of a fan in the back. And that's how you're going to hear that for the rest of this episode. Yeah. The rest of this summer. But the um, uh, 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 where I was going with this was... I mean, look, we could be in Florida where apparently the temperature is hot tub temperature now. The uh, sorry, the ocean is hot tub temperature. I don't want to think about that right yeah, now. It's That's a thing. too much for me to think about at but, this point in my day. Fair enough. Get hit me with that one at like nine a.m. Okay, when I can process. process. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, this weekend, I avoided the big multiplex yes. uh, experience, thinking Monday morning would be fine, and it really was when we walked in. For our uh, 10.30 Mission Impossible, there was no one around. We, it was quiet. Yeah. Uh, but when we left, it was, it was a Barbie dance party mm. in, the, in the lobby. By the way, as you were reciting your schedule for the week, including seeing Barbie without me and all my fun friends no, who were going to go I'm, see it with I'm me. I'm seeing it with you. Uh, 
Uh, some listeners may have noticed that you plan on knocking out uh, Oppenheimer in, in one, one day. Yes, I have changed my plan. Mm. I'm going to do with Oppenheimer what I did with Mission Impossible, which is get my arthritic hips and ass up out of the chair midpoint through the film, go to the aisle, do a little, do the thing that I do in water fitness class, which is a little sort of like walk in place with my cane, mm-hmm. and watch the film from the from the side of the theater for a bit, and then like 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 an intermission, sure, that I'm giving myself while still watching the movie. Which I don't. Know. I was going to take it in a two day stretch, yes, but that just seems like a lot of effort and a lot of. Travel. It's and, a lot of going back, and, and it's forward. honestly, it involves more work physically. True. <laughs> than this uh, revised plan. I don't know why Hollywood doesn't bring back the, the intermission. intermission. Yes. I mean, Oppenheimer it sure would be nice. Is not much shorter than Reds, and Reds had one. Yeah. Back in the day, all these movies had intermissions. Yeah, because people needed to smoke. They needed to smoke. They needed to get a a, a refreshing uh, soda cool drink. Is that, uh, they don't, uh, why? Why? Uh, what was the last time we had an intermission? The hateful eight. Ma- yeah, like a built-in yes. intermission, and that was a gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a helpful gimmick. Yes, no, it no, was no. nice. Look, I was I, really glad we I'm got pro one. intermission, but yeah. Tarantino just did it because he wanted his movie to be a roadshow, you know, release basically. Yes. yes. But like, yeah, no. I mean, the Avatar movies. I go see a three-hour opera, and they give you two intermissions. Yes. They want you to have time to go to the cookie room. Yeah, the cookie room. The hundred thousand dollar cookie room. That's right. Yeah. So the um, so here's what we did this weekend. Yes. We did not go to the big uh, multiplex because no. I was worried that it was just going to be too crowded. Yes. And I don't like a lot of crowds. It's got nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with me people. not liking people too much. And I had already you yeah. know, seen Barbie and Oppenheimer, and you can read my review. It's at thefilmverdict.com. Thefilmverdict.com. If you can't wait for next week's episode for my stuff. Well, this next week's episode is going to be recorded Sunday afternoon. Yes. So we're giving you one on Tuesday. We're giving you one on Sunday. Yes. You're getting two this week. We've been traveling. You've been traveling yes. and stuff. Uh, so this weekend, we went to the Lemley Royal, which mm-hmm. we have just a place we've talked about many times. Yes. So. The Lemley is a local art house chain, and the Royal is the uh, one that's over in uh, far west Los Angeles, border of Santa Monica. If you'd like to know more about the Lemley Theater chain, the documentary Only in Theaters is now streaming oh, yeah. and on physical media. Yes. Uh, so we saw the new Christian Petzold film there yes. uh, called A Fire. Uh, we are also... That's one word, the adjective, yeah. A Fire. A fire, like my heart's a fire for mm. you, darling. You see, uh, and there's a re- well, there's a reason. No, in German the film is called Red Sky. Yes, yeah. But here it's called a fire. a fire. Yeah. We're going to talk about that one today, and we're also going to talk about a new French film called Revoir. Uh, Revoir. <laughs> Pronounce it, please, for me. I'm I'm so bad. Revoir Paris. Revoir Paris, all right. Uh, a a uh, a French German film uh, called Human Flowers of Flesh, 
Uh, Alonzo finally got a chance to catch up on an American uh, film uh, that came out earlier this year called A Thousand and One. Which is now streaming on Peacock. We're going to talk about a movie <laughs> that contains, uh, that it comes with its own tale uh, called The Miracle Club. A Cambodian film called White Building and a an Austrian documentary called Matter Out of Place. So buckle up. <laughs> This is all the movies that they say don't exist right That's now. That's right. <laughs> because all you think about is Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, but let's kick it off with the Christian Petzold film. Christian okay. Petzold is a German filmmaker who made f- films that we've discussed yes. on this podcast. Phoenix, Transit, Undina, mm-hmm. and now this. And and he's made other ones too, but like I know we've specifically talked about those three uh, on this show. I'm a big fan of this guy, and he's become kind of a a, a reliable art house bankable name mm. in the U.S. because his films uh, are always really entertaining, and they move in uh, more more uh, uh, recognizable ways than what you might think of as an art house film. They're, they move, they're not not genre films. Correct. Uh, mainstream filmmaking has influenced him quite a bit in terms of his pacing and his commitment to, you know, giving you a full-bodied story mm-hmm. and in, rather than, you know, a series of sensations and abstractions. <laughs> and so uh, this film... Uh, stars uh, Paula Beer, who has been in several of his films. She was in Undina. She was in uh, uh, Phoenix. And no, 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 I don't think. Wait, she was in Transit. Sorry, I'm screwing that up. Transit. She plays a woman who is in a vacation home on the Baltic uh, seaside. And what she doesn't know is that two other visitors are coming to the house, and they don't know she's there either. Uh, They are two young men, one of whom uh, has a mom who owns the place, and the other is his friend, who is a writer, an author, working on his second book, and he is extremely frustrated, and he's extremely irritated. Uh, He's played by an actor named Thomas Schubert, who's been in a lot of stuff but mostly Austrian-German productions. I didn't really know him until this film. And if I had known him before, I might not have recognized him because he used to be very uh, uh, young and slight-looking, and he has bulked up for... I don't know if that's in life or for this role, (laughs) and if it was for life, God bless him and all of our fellow chunky friends. Yes. We speak to you from that land ourselves. <laughs> so, uh, his new novel is bad. Yes. And he's very upset about it, and he knows it's bad, and he's waiting for, he's coming out to the, to the vacation house to work. But he doesn't get any work done. He just stews over the fact that his book is bad, and he knows his editor is coming out to read the book and help him maybe... But nothing is making him happy. 
nothing that anyone can do or say. He refuses to go, you know, have a day at the beach with all the with the with the with his friend, with the woman in the house. And uh he is insistently dour. Meanwhile, there's a wildfire thirty kilometers away. Yes. And everyone says, oh, the wind blows from the sea into us. We're safe. Nothing's wrong. Everything's okay. And what happens, Alonzo? <laughs> this is kind of uh, Am I the A-Hole the movie? <laughs> uh, oh, it's not even a question. No, uh, yeah, the answer is always yes. It's a film about a man who slowly comes to learn the horrible truth about himself. Yes. That he is a pain in the ass. Yes. And a, a consistent jerk to everyone who crosses his path. Self-involved, um, a Curb Your Enthusiasm character <laughs> who, who is, instead of boring through, you know, full speed ahead to keep on being like he is, starting to crumble under the weight of knowing that he is this person. Yes, and, yeah. and people finally being less reticent to tell him. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, this this was my bow is afraid. <laughs> like, whatever Another one I need to catch up trying to put audiences through and trying to sort of create that kind of nightmarish, you know, thing where you're just constantly uncomfortable and squirming... I was very uncomfortable in this movie. Why? I felt like I was, why were you personally? Uncomfortable I felt like I was film? watching a character who embodied like everything I try with all of my might not to be. May I lay your fears to rest for just a moment? Okay. Everyone is an a hole sometimes. Yes, everyone. But this is a very specific brand. I, I know. <laughs> I understand. As 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 writers, this kind of character is. A cautionary yeah. uh, tale. But yeah, no, you're you're you are such a, a, a charmer most of the time. No, I, I And when you're not, it's private. Like I I don't see you I get all the worst behavior that you have to <laughs> that you have to give. And and even that is sporadic and, and mild. I, I don't look at this character and think, oh, God, that's me. Right. But I look at this character and I think, oh, oh God, God. Please never let me be this I've way. Got, I've got that in me. Right. And I could, I could I, if I'm not real careful, yeah. if I'm not on no, that, it. I, that I understand. You know. That's he is why, very, he's very relatable. Yeah. It's why, it's like you mentioned, I stopped watching Curb Your Enthusiasm because I couldn't laugh. I was right. just cringing so hard right. and thinking, oh, oh God, I could totally see me doing that. I would try not to do that. I don't want to be that guy, but I would be that guy and this would happen and I can't watch this being enacted by someone else. He's also very blatantly, although he thinks he's not, smitten with Paula Beer's character. Right. But again, so wrapped up in himself such a snob about what people do for a living. Uh, Just the worst, this guy. Yeah. Um, but watchably the worst. Meanwhile, the fire gets closer. Gets closer and closer. And that becomes a plot point and an element of suspense that is... Obviously, it informs the title of the film. Yeah. 
the English title. But you wouldn't uh, even need it. <laughs> right. For the rest of the film's, you know, developing a uh, sense of dread and unease and awkwardness and and the pain of human interactions bubbling up. Right. Without the fire beginning to push the narrative, the film itself, the, the, the story itself is already a, a, an exercise in tension. In a way, this is the narrative ideal of the disaster movie. Yeah. Because there is this pending threat. Yeah. You have real life people who are in the shadow of it. Yeah. And then forced to deal with it one way or another once it finally happens. But also while dealing with themselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but they don't. But they you can't. They can't completely put aside their their, their current personal their crisis. Petty stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> this is sort of like if Irwin Allen had ever made an art house movie, it might be something like this. Yeah. Sure. That's a, that's not a bad way of putting it. I um. This is fully successful <laughs> at what it's doing. The performances are great. Um, Paula Beer has a way of charming the camera and remaining aloof and also exuding an air of, like, I know more than you. Mm. And you learn through the course of the film that, oh, she knows she, more than you yeah. <laughs> for sure. And that revelation, you know, plot line is great. Everything about this film is... There, there's, a, there's a queer element to this film that I spent much of the film being like, does this movie know that, what it's doing? And then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you knew all along. Never mind. It's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm seeing stuff that I don't even know that the movie knows is there, but this movie knows it's there. Uh, he's a he's a director who is always in command of all the tops that he's spinning. Mm. Um, and I know you weren't a big fan of Transit. I and, was not, and you're wrong. But sure the, the 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 risks he takes and the the number of things he sets in motion, he very uh, skillfully resolves them and puts them all together. I really dig this film. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> uh, it is called A Fire. Yes. It is playing in... Uh, limited you know, release. Limited art house release. Uh, and because it's actually... Like, this is one of those rare movies that got two full weeks at the Royal. No. Yeah. Uh, which means it'll be out on Blu-ray. <laughs> Within three months. Within a few months, yeah. yeah. If you if you're not if you don't live in a place where this you know comes yeah uh, it'll be there. Now, Revoir Paris is a film that is still currently in art house release, but also already available to rent. If you want to stream it at home, it's yeah. already there, and the Blu-ray comes out in August. It's in that weird. Art house film in between space right now, where you know, some places it's on a screen, and some places you just have to stream it because it's never going to come to a screen where right. you are. And if you want, like it enough, you want to buy it, it's going to be here soon. Now, it is from Alice uh, Winokur, mm -hmm. who 
previously is uh, best known. She's a French uh, filmmaker, previously known uh, for a film called uh, Augustine that came out in around mm, 2012, 2013. Mustang, I think is big deal in Cannes. Here. She wrote the film Mustang that was here in like 2016. Um, she did not direct Mustang, ah. though. Um, so this film was inspired by. Although not, it, they never say it's specifically about that, but it is yeah. about that. In November of 2015, you may recall, there, were, uh, there was a coordinated series of terrorist attacks in Paris. I remember exactly where we were when they happened. We were at... Uh, we were in Mill Valley, or the... Uh, we were at the Mill film Valley. festival in... in uh, Napa Valley. We were at the Napa Valley Film Festival, you and I. And you were on a jury... Um, weren't you? Yeah, I was on a jury yeah. and I did like a panel. Yeah. So we were up there and we were fixing to go out to dinner and the news broke yeah. on TV uh, that at first all they were reporting on was the Eagles of Death Metal concert right? Uh, that people had come in and started and had opened fire. And, and it was horrifying. Uh, then we learned that there were other attacks going on around the city at the same time. So Alice Winokur's brother was at the Eagles of Death Metal show, mm. and he survived. Mm. Uh, but so this film is inspired by uh, that event and the aftermath of that. So it stars uh, Virginie Efira, who was the lead in the Paul Verhoeven uh, sexy nun movie, uh, Benedetta. <laughs> It was called Sexy Nun. It was called Sexy Nun, yeah. Uh, she plays a woman uh, who is a translator, uh, like a, for radio. And she is uh, married to a doctor, played by Gregoire Collin. If you are a fan of Claire Denis' films, you will recognize him because he's in pretty much all of them. He was the, he was the Billy Bud in Beau Trevi back in 1999. And they are married, and they are uh, at dinner one night, and he gets a call. He has to go to the hospital. She decides to go have a drink by herself in another restaurant on her way home. She's on a motorcycle, and it starts raining. It starts raining, so she goes in the bar. She's drying off, having a drink, and that's when the attacks happen. So the... uh, there was a gunman who walks into the into the restaurant and just starts killing people. She hits the floor, and she lives. Now that is really pretty much it for the depiction of the attacks. This is very matter of fact. They're not lingering over it. They're not uh, uh, exploiting the agony of that. And they don't moment. really delve into the politics of it either. There is no... It's never discussed. This is only about what happens to this woman after. Right. Yeah. So, um, it is, from that point forward, this very s- slow walk toward memory recovery. Because yeah. she sees a therapist, and she cannot quite get a handle on what she did, how she got home, Piecing together the Piecing evening. together the night. She goes to a survivor's group 
and she begins to to remember, you know, people. She is confronted at the survivors group by a woman who claims to have been in the restaurant with her and who claims that that she uh, our our Virginia Fira Mia is the character. Her character's name is Mia. I forgot her. I I just think of her as the actress name. <laughs> Benedetta. Yes. <laughs> she the woman says, you hid in the bathroom and you locked the door. And she said, no, no, no. I went to the bathroom and then I came back out and that's when the shooting started. And the woman said, no, people are dead because of you. I'm not going to spoil how this all turns out, but it is the kind of film that be- makes you begin to doubt that what your main character has seen is even real. And the way they do that is by uh, inserting people you think have been victims in the restaurant shooting into her daily life. Like, she'll see these people on the subway. She'll see them walking down the street. And she'll be like, wait, are they alive? Are they dead? Were they there? Was I there? What happened? Right. So you begin to doubt where she's going. How reliable is your narrator? Yeah. She becomes friends with a man who was in the restaurant that she had a, 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 a visual connection to. Yeah. Like he looked at her, he was celebrating his birthday and she looked at him and there seemed to me have been sort of a little bit of a like, are we hot for each other yeah. right now? Are, are we, we just French? So that guy is played by Benoit Majumel, who is the lead in my favorite film of this year so far, Pacifiction. Uh, there's also a restaurant worker that she's trying to find who might help her remember because he helped her. She thinks she ran to the kitchen to hide. Uh, and that guy's played by Amadou Mbo. He was from uh, uh, the film Atlantics. Oh, you remember that one okay. from a few years back. That's streaming on Netflix still yeah. as well, and it's this so good. incredible film. And in trying to find this guy, she sort of comes to understand how uh, you know refugees who get restaurant jobs when they're undocumented, where they live, how they live, right? And uh, you know, and, and this part of the movie, while it's it's certainly interesting, I couldn't stop thinking about Tori and Lokita, yes. the Darden brothers movie, which yes. is like firmly entirely set in that world, yes. Um, you know, and, and how powerful that was. So this is really touchy material, not yeah. because of the events it's based on, but in how Alice Winokur is depicting PTSD. What? Yeah, PTSD, and what a survivor of an extremely traumatic event like that can expect in life after being through something like really devastating. We get a certain kind of French film in the United States. We don't get the broad comedies or the heist movies or the, you know, we don't. The Asterix movies don't We don't get the mainstream stuff. We get. The elliptical. We get more of that, yes. And they tend not to have a very uh, 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 enthusiastic or optimistic approach to the idea of you know, personal healing. 
So this one dares to very delicately frame a person who is pushing through pain and trauma to get back to a life that she can live and not constantly be forever haunted. forever haunted by this event. Yeah. Um, and I think it's pretty successful at that. Yeah, it, there's no quick fix here. No. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, of of like just de per actual detective work, but then also sort of kind of personal evaluation and, and yeah. inventory going on. It's here. a very internal film. Yeah, that's also very difficult to depict. You know uh, how a person's feelings and emotions are 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 shifting mm. over time, uh, and I think that the inclusion of other people from the events. Yeah, that they're not a monolith by any means. Yeah, they they become part of her story in ways you're not expecting. Yeah. Uh, so I like this quite a bit. Now, we did see it with uh, a couple of friends who were less enthusiastic about it, mm -hmm. one of whom outright disliked it. Really? <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know... Maybe we're the unreliable narrators. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought this was this was very effective. And, and I honestly, with one notable exception, uh, I didn't predict how a lot of this was going to go. So Right, right. Now, I want to talk about a film that has left theaters. Okay. And has not yet been released on any kind of physical media. Or uh, streaming. Or streaming. It's called Human Flowers of Flesh. It is from uh, Swiss. I want to say she's Swiss. Helena Widman. This is her second narrative feature. She earlier made a film called Drift. About a woman on a boat going somewhere. <laughs> this one is about a woman on a boat <laughs> going somewhere. <laughs> Only this time, the woman has a crew of men with her who are part of her journey. Literal or figurative? Literal. But what is the journey? <laughs> now... I haven't seen this, by the way. So. Yeah, this is me. I saw this with friend and neighbor Gary Connie. I said, hey, do you want to help me out and be my chaperone for a film at the Lumiere? I said, because the parking situation is bad for me and my legs and the hips and the cane and the whole, like, I need your help, help, your physical assistance to go to this film. He was like, sure, I'll do anything. The reason I'm telling you this is because of what happens after the film is over. This is a film that defies easy explanation. Often when we talk about the art house, like we just did, you know, the first two films we talked about, strongly, solidly narrative-based. They have a beginning, a middle, an end. They're going to get there 
They're going to get there solidly. They're going to get there, you know, without a lot of digression, with zero abstraction. Human flowers of flesh is all abstraction. It is a film that does not give itself to you on a plate <laughs> at all. You have to sit and let it do what it's going to do. As I said, this is the story of a woman with no real course in mind other than that in the middle of her boat trip she becomes obsessed with the idea of the French Foreign Legion and wants to go to North Africa. Now, y'all heard me talk about Gregoire Collin and Beau Travail a few minutes ago. Keep that in mind. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you something about uh, uh, some films that came before. <laughs> I already told you about Drift, where she's... The woman is in a boat going... She's eh. on a boat. She's on a boat. We don't know where she's going. You can see Drift on Vimeo right now. You can rent it and watch it. And... But I'm going to take you back a little bit. And this is not a spoiler because it's in the trailer. If you decide to watch the trailer, you'll see this man that shows up at the end. All right. Back in the early 1960s, everyone settle in for a Rachel Maddow-style story. Oh, boy. Back in the early 1960s, Jean-Luc Godard made a film called Le Petit Soldat. It starred Michel Subor as a man who was in the French Foreign Legion. That's basically all you need to know. He's got problems. <laughs> Fast forward to 1999, Claire Denis makes Beau Travail. Starring Michel Subor as the same character he played in Godard's film. He plays the commander in that film, with whom the character uh, 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 played by Denis Levant is in love with in a dad kind of way. Mm. You know, there is some, I think, sexual desire involved in this as well. But he loves Michel Suvor, and he is always obsessed with getting, you know, his, his approval. In comes Billy Budd to steal Michel Suvor's attention away from Denis Levant. And that's where the conflict lies. Now, at the end of Beautrevay, it's a very ambiguous ending. Denis Levant lays on a bed. He lies down on his bed. He's got a gun on his chest. And you think, perhaps, that he might be about to kill himself because his life has been sort of devastated by the events that take place in the film Beau Travail. The next thing you see is him alone in a discotheque dancing to Corona's Rhythm of the Night. The end. That's the end of the film. So here comes Human Flowers of Flesh, and when the woman gets to North Africa, and she's wandering around the remnants of a French Foreign Legion outpost, boom, there's Denis Levant, playing the same character he played in Beautrevail. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Well, that's up to you. <laughs>
she follows him and she interacts with him and then she leaves him. This film has a lot going on. But what it has going on is the frame, the composition, the sound, the light, the, the, the sequences of undersea abstraction, of looking at you know, uh, uh, amoebas floating around in the water. It is a film of emotional narrative and emotional sense and mood more than narrative. It m seems to mostly discard narrative entirely, quite often. So I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, what is the, I, I understand the film historical conversation it's having with Claire Denis and Jean-Luc Godard. You know, it has picked up the ball that Claire Denis held after picking it up from Godard and is taking it into some new place with a character that may be alive, may not be alive. Maybe he's a ghost. <laughs> is the title ever explained? The title is never explained. Okay. <clears throat> so as a viewer, I think what this film is doing is also having a conversation just with your senses, because that's all you have to grab onto here, is how you are physically, viscerally experiencing this film, the desire to watch a movie and follow along with it, to be told what's happening and why, to have a resolution that allows you to that allows you to close up the story when the credits roll and say goodbye to it. You don't get that here. It forces you to stay open to whatever's coming next from this filmmaker, from some other filmmaker. When I was talking to Gary Cotty about this in the car, I said, you ever notice, I said, think about it like this. When, when you see a Donald Judd concrete cube and a Dan Flavin fluorescent light, they're always right next to each other <laughs> in a museum. And the reason is those guys were always having an art conversation with each other, not just in their lives, but in their work. And I, and I find that to be sort of an analogous thing to what's going on with this film and the two films that it is referencing by its very existence. Um, now, what it means, as I said, is up to you. But here was the review <laughs> when we walked out into the lobby <laughs> of the Lumiere from Gary Cotty. That was a toughie. <laughs> And he's right. This is not a movie for everybody. This is a movie for uh, people who want to let something happen to them. If you were trying to... By the way, I love it. Yes. I love it. You probably knew that going in. If you wanted to guarantee my absence from the theater, like you were hiding my Christmas presents there and were worried that I might walk in on it, dropping the names Beau Trevi and Donald Judd pretty much did the trick. 
I should mention that if you've seen Dogtooth, you've seen the woman. The character's name is Ida, and she's played by uh, Angeliki uh, Papulia. She was in Dogtooth. Um, she's also in Alps, uh-huh. another Yorgos Lantimos film that I r- really love. The early Lantimos. Yeah. They just announced his new one's premiering at Venice. Maybe, oh, really? Maybe I'll get to see it. Yeah. Uh, it is... It is the it is the film equivalent of looking at abstraction mm. and sorting it out for yourself. I am super into it, and I'm really excited for it to come to uh, some sort of home viewing experience, streaming, Blu-ray, whatever. Uh, I think it was Cinema Guild that put it out, uh-huh. and they eventually. I think it was Cinema Guild. They put it out. Them or Grasshopper, and they will. You know, they always eventually put their stuff out on on physical media. Sure. Now, moving on. What are we moving on to? A thousand and one. Ah, this is an earlier, uh, earlier in the year film. Yeah, premiered at that Sundance. That I wanted to. I saw it in the. I saw it theatrically when it came out. But I was like, no, 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 no. We can't talk about this until Alonzo sees it. And I don't care how long it takes. You have to see it before yeah, we it, talk it, about it. It came out in theaters while I was up to my eyeballs in book. Right. And I didn't get right. a chance to see it. Right. Uh, but I did then catch up with it on um, uh, Peacock, and I'm very glad I did. What's it about? So, Tiana Taylor plays a young woman who... Um, has uh, been incarcerated. Yes. Uh, she has survived working as an unlicensed beautician. Yes. Um, and as the film opens, she is a very young child, and she is trying desperately to find some place to spend the night. To you know, uh, and so she has to sort of uh, hit upon the the generosity of friends, even though like her her main friend. Her friend's mother is very dubious of right. uh, Tiana Taylor's character, whose name is Inez. Over the course of the years, we see her uh, raising her child. She uh, There's a, a man that she's involved with who becomes a, a father figure. Um, and then they get married. And, that's right. They do get married, yes. yes. Um, and then uh, several things happen. The, the, you know, the, the kid is reaching college age and is showing uh, a promise uh, a, a, a academic, academic promise, yeah. and so he's got a teacher who's trying to sort of sort that out and see if she can get him a scholarship. Yeah. Um, the building that they live in is being quote unquote renovated, yeah. which is basically they're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, several things that I will not give away uh, transpire that that call into question a lot of things that we have taken for granted at this point in the plot. I want to talk about the cast here. Uh, an actor named William Catlett, who was in, uh, 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 oh, I'm, I'm, I'm failing the name, Charm City Kings, ah. uh, that we talked about. And he was also on Lovecraft years. Country. Yeah. Uh, he plays the, the, the husband. A series of young actors plays uh, the kid named yes. Terry, Inez's son, uh, Aaron uh, Kingsley, Aditola plays the six-year-old Terry. Uh, Avon Courtney plays the 13-year-old Terry. And the heart-wrenching yes. <laughs> Josiah Cross plays the 17-year-old uh, Terry. 
And when I say heart-wrenching, I mean he matches Tiana Taylor's heart-wrenching performance as well. But let's talk about Tiana Taylor for just a moment. Oh, let's. Because I have loved her from the moment she tore through the film Medea's Big Happy Family. Yes. In a comedic way. Yes. And... And I knew that her primary vocation in the world was dancer, singer, choreographer. Right. But she would also occasionally show up in films. And, and, I, and I realized this film coming along that she often is in the comedy role. Yeah. And I watched an interview with her where she, she was with uh, A.V. Rockwell, the director, talking about how badly she wanted this film. Mm. Uh, The script, the audition sides came across her desk and she read them and she's like, no, 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 this, I want this. This is the movie, I want this movie. This was written for me, it was written about me. And she said in this interview, she said, I'm, you have seen me be Ratchet. <laughs> that was her word. And she said, and I can do that. I'm funny. And she is personally very funny. Yeah. She said, I auditioned for A.B. Rockwell 30 times. I took out my hair. I took off my makeup. <laughs> and I knew I had to be this person. Yeah. And this is not, what, despite what the, the plot might suggest, a poverty porn movie. No. It is entirely about something else. Yeah. Um, the uh, it is about people who are poor. Yes. But that is not what it is. Yeah. Um, Tiana Taylor is also from Harlem, where it is set. So another reason she really, really wanted it. Uh, this is the kind of performance that I'm the I'm the guy. You're the guy. At the end of the year, that we're like, we don't care about awards. Awards are dumb. Who cares? Blah, blah, blah. Give Tiana Taylor all the awards. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I can't imagine what I'm going to see coming up throughout the rest of the year that is going to stun me the way she did in this film. Everything she does here is right. Yeah. And it is so moving and so heartbreaking and so true. Um, So here's what it's about. You gave a little bit of the plot. This is Les Miserables. (laughs) Yeah. This is the story of one character pitted against history, struggling against forces like not of their own making. It is focused on Inez and her family and the day-to-day of living, but there's this ambient threat coming. And it begins in the 90s, and it ends in the mid-2000s. And what that ambient threat is, is this drastically shifting livability, the drastically shifting livability of New York City. The, 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 Giuliani, the Giuliani gentrification. The Bloomberg era. years. The introduction of things like stop and frisk, the gentrification of formerly livable neighborhoods for poor and working class people. The shifts are both political and financially motivated. 
and ruinous to poor people. So what you get in this film, and you never it never says it explicitly. It only says it through the radio, the atmosphere around the characters. It, it, the, the way they use the radio news reminded me of what um, Isabel Sandoval does in yeah. Lingua Franca, yeah. where they never like specifically comment on the thing, but it just creates this atmosphere of what our lives are like and who's shaping, what, what are the forces shaping it. Yeah. All of poverty in the United States is a policy failure. Always. The mechanisms by which people are kept in grinding poverty yes. are a manifestation of political will. That's it. It's not necessary. The film is not polemical about this. That's no. my job. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me so much of Two Days, One Night. Yeah. Yeah. It is like a Dardan Brothers film in that way. And her performance reminds me very much of Marion Cotillard yeah. in, in, in that film. It is so focused on building this complicated character who is equal parts frustrated and exhausted, but not giving up one bit of herself to the world that wants to break her down. Right. Um, I don't know if there's any non-diegetic music in this film. Oh, Score-wise. I, I didn't notice that, but now that you mentioned um, it, I, I know what you mean. But yeah, it totally reminds me of Dardenne Brothers. Like, the early... You know, Maurice Pilot stuff. Um, and there's a line. We are not, we are very much intentionally not telling you what happens in this film. Right. Because there is a level of stress and tension that builds around the very existence of this mother son relationship and what the world wants to do to this relationship and break it. And this but is, this is I don't a, want to give that away. I don't want to give any of that away. And this is a first feature. Yeah. From A.V. Rockwell, who's uh, a, a black woman who's done like shorts and music I videos. I can't wait to see where she goes next. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite films so far this year. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is currently available to stream, to rent. It's If you have Peacock, if you, subs if you have a subscription to Peacock, mm -hmm. you can watch it on Peacock yeah. right now. And, and if, you, if you pay for Peacock, they do the thing with movies where they give you all the ads at the beginning and then they just show you the movie. The filmmaking is really, really wonderful. It is the camera is always on the ground mm -hmm. running <laughs> with, these, with these characters. Um, it has a great sense of place. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I wrote down a line of dialogue that I'm not going to say because I want to stay away from spoiling the plot okay you know normally i i'm i'm pretty loosey-goosey about to be spoilers wolf about it but this is the secret that they are carrying throughout the film yeah unfolds near the end and it and it impacts beautifully everything. it is beautifully sort of sorted out yeah by the time the final credits go i really love this film yeah no, it was, uh, it's a gut punch, but it's great. 
I really do not love the Miracle Club. <laughs> Another one I missed, and I feel like now I dodged a bullet. My friend Chris lives in Long Beach. And he and I have a long-standing tradition yes. of going to see films uh, that star Maggie Smith, Judy Dench, Hats, and old-timey locations. Tea cozies. Exactly. We are the fancy hat lady movies gays. Yeah, that's what we do. When these films are released, it's a day-long tea party of friendship and pleasure. <laughs> so, I see the trailer for The Miracle Club. Stars Maggie Smith, Kathy Bates, Laura Linney. And I'm I mean, like, come on. I'm like, all right, I'm, you got me. It is set in the 1960s in Dublin. And it's about women, these three women, who go to Lourdes in France together on a bus. Apparently, the bus drives onto a ferry. Wait, are, are Kathy Bates and Laura Linney British in this? Kathy Bates is Irish. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And okay. Maggie Smith is Irish, but she can do that. Well, sure. Kathy Bates can kind of do that. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. She's not embarrassing. Like, it's not a Kevin Costner situation. Robin, well, no. Robin Hood. Um, it's not embarrassing... It's also not, you know, not perfect. Laura Linney, by the time you hear Kathy Bates speaking in an Irish accent, and then Laura Linney shows up and she begins to open her mouth, you think, oh God, please let her be playing an American. <laughs> I beg you. Uh, and what you realize is that Laura Linney's character was born in Dublin banished from the community when she was 16 went to live in the United States and has spent the last 40 years living in the United States ah. and now sounds like someone from the United States mm. which accounts for Laura Linney's American accent phew why are they going to Lords? well why do people go to Lords? not just for tourism no but they are true believers and they want miracles. Right. Right. Except Laura Linney, who does not believe in miracles <laughs> and who has reason not to believe in miracles. Where are you because, from, you sexy thing? Because she has been banished ah. from this community and from this family. And she's angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she's on this boat. Not the boat. She's on this bus going to Lourdes. Because maybe... Just maybe. Oh, man. The miracle is reconciliation. Okay, wait a minute. Maybe. I'm going to take a, a, a stab here. I have seen none of this movie, not a frame. Yeah. But I'm going to guess, yeah. based on this description so far, yeah. that there's not a hat to be found, but everybody has a kerchief. There are hats. But you would need to, this movie would need to be like set 20 years earlier for the good ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> This is like kerchiefs and raincoats and sensible shoes. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. 
But that wasn't really the selling point. The selling point for me was these three actresses. Sure. Who I love. Yeah. And you're not made of stone. Correct. But, oy. <laughs> what a, a, what a disjointed nothing of a film where all the plot that you're expecting them to explain to you is barely explained. Oh, boy. Not because they're trying to be oblique or human flowers of flesh about it. Right. It's because they, didn't oh, get they just it. didn't get around to it. <laughs> like, not once in this film does anyone say, so how, how's your life been for the past 40 years, Laura Linney? What's going on in the U.S.? Why are you even here? What brings you back? Well, the, the reason her mother dies. Oh, okay. and so she comes back to sort of settle things in gotcha. Dublin. But no one bothers to say, so what has been going on with you for the past 40 years? You seem angry. <laughs> are you doing all right there? Like, no, 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 no. We're just focused on the, we're just focused on the miracles, you guys. How Agnes Brown is this depiction of Irish Agnes, women? Agnes Brown is a better film. Ooh. Yeah. And we, have, we notoriously hated Agnes Brown back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we should revisit it and Perhaps give, it, a, we give were, it another go. We were too hard. Yeah, maybe we were too harsh on it. Uh, because of the subject matter, because of the Catholic uh, blockage <laughs> that you get from watching this film, uh, at one point in the film, someone even references the movie Song of Bernadette. Oh, well, sure. And as we were walking out of the royal... Gary came with us. Yes. Gary echoed the earlier sentiment from our friend Brian, who walked out of Revoir Paris and said, didn't love it. (laughs) Gary walked out of Miracle Club and said, didn't love it. (laughs) Perfect impersonation, by the way. (laughs) And Chris delivered the line that I wish I had thought up. He said, Yawn of Bernadette. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> but I do want to all I do want to give a shout out to the great Laura Linney, who is working her hardest to make something of her material by being direct and meaningful and simmering with rage and resentment and by film's end actually making you feel something. Hmm. She is the saving grace she is, of this clunkety, blunkety, blunk. She is an underrated actress. I think the we only... Don't love her, we don't love her enough. No, know that. The, the only reason her character in Love Actually works at all is because of what is she's because doing. because Laura Linney is playing her. Yeah. Right, like that—that that is a she script that and Emma not, Thompson are yeah. are giving you. That that's a script that's not actual giving, doing them favors, but they're doing it favors. Yeah. And finally, let's talk about matter out of place. Oh, let's. Yeah. It is uh, the latest from Austrian documentary filmmaker Nicholas Geralter. We have discussed his films. 
Earth and Our Daily Bread yes. on this program over the years. And he makes uh, documentaries about large systems. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, the two most recent, this one and Earth, have been very environmentally focused. You could even say that Our Daily Bread is an environmental oh, for sure. documentary as well. Uh, it's about the it's about food processing and the agricultural system. He is a big believer in showing and not telling. Oh yeah, telling is not what he's doing. The legacy of Frederick Wiseman is here, in that you are hearing very little from uh, experts, talking heads, that what have you. Uh, he's even more austere uh, because quite often uh, there's very little dialogue. Period. Uh, yeah, Frederick Wiseman will give you on. people sitting around a meeting table and yeah. having, you know, like a, a, a strategy session, and he'll just hang back and and record it all and let them talk. Whereas Gerhalter will hang back and just let a truck go through a field and pick things up or drop things off. Yeah, and that's what's happening. That yeah. that, that is the action that is taking place with no one talking. He's. Uh... He's a tricky one, too, because this film opens on this gorgeous landscape. Big, wide frame, Mm -hmm. grassy knoll, vista of this, you know, beautiful mountainous landscape with water, you know. You think, oh, what a beautiful rocky shore on that waterfront. And the camera just stays there. And the more you look, the more you realize, oh, that's not a rocky shore. That's plastic. That's plastic garbage. You know, midway through, I turned to you and said, is this technically a horror movie? Because he keeps showing you these things that you think are gorgeous, and then you're like, okay, wait, look for the detritus. Right. And it's always there. So this is a film about the various approaches to global trash maintenance. Yeah. And he crisscrosses all across the the world to show you human-made waste and what it is doing to the natural world. Yeah. And what it's doing to cities. I was reminded of uh, Andy McDowell at the beginning of um, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. Where she's telling her therapist, I I couldn't sleep last night because I was thinking about the garbage. Where does all the garbage go? Honey, you don't want to know. This movie (laughs) shows you where all the garbage goes. Um, and it shows you where the garbage goes in uh, Western industrial, you know, uh, very you know upscale environments, and where it goes in the developing world, yeah. and where, which seems to be where a lot of it is going, yeah, uh, um, including a lot of the stuff from the Western, uh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you see these like resorts, like there's a there's a, a Swiss. Is it Swiss, I guess? Skiing. Ski resort, resort. like in the Alps, where it's very, you know, it's very specific about how people are supposed to, you know, get rid of stuff. And then that leads to, I'm not even going to tell you, you have to see it for yourself. Uh, But but also like one of those, those... Hotels in Bali, where it's all the sort of it's the Maldives, yeah. Is, oh, the Maldives, yeah. yeah. These kind of individual, like you know, huts at the end of docks, and yeah. where all that stuff goes, and uh, and and it's because they're not going in that pretty blue clear water. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. And they follow it, and they follow it, and they follow it, and they. It's follow in the water it. you're not seeing at the resort. Exactly. Yeah. 
So this is, as I said earlier, this is the film about the enormous systems that are now in place to transform this garbage and failing that, hide it yeah. from human sight. Yeah. The seeming futility of individual human efforts to recycle, voluntarily deal with it. Yeah. And to force powerful governing or economic uh, entities to reverse growth in the interest of saving humanity. Yeah. Um, Not for nothing, after the snap, did the whales start coming back to yeah. New York Harbor. The privilege of waste treatment mm-hmm. uh, versus countries that don't have that economic apparatus in place. Uh, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's beautiful to look at this film. And that's kind of his, that's how he sucks you in. He's yeah. like, oh, look at this beautiful thing. Oh, no, I'm about to peel it back. And I think also there is something that is just kind of, like, it's the reason that, like, five-year-old boys love to watch videos of dump trucks. Yes. Or of those, like, big, giant kind of construction earth movers, whatever. There's something inescapably riveting about the mechanisms on display here, even when they're in the service of something that is, like, ultimately, you know, terrible or at least unhealthy for the environment looking at the process is still fascinating. This is uh, a documentary that would that, that could very well be classified as slow cinema in that the oh, camera yeah. the camera is <clears throat> fixed. The shots are very long. Very long. You are simply watching the processes as they take place in front of you. Yeah. Uh, so that durational approach is also somewhat, I think, evocative of the idea of garbage breakdown. Oh, you don't want to watch this for five minutes? Well, it's going to take 5,000 years <laughs> for this to break down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think a thing about his films and, and the two that we talked about before, there is this idea of, like, geologic time. Yeah. That, yeah, you're watching a shot that lasts three or four minutes, but this is, these are processes that, you know, in the case of the agriculture, take seasons. In the case of, you know, Earth, where they're just like, you know, moving these huge, you know, mount- like the, the, the time, it, the, the eons it took for this mountain to be created and the days it took for us to turn it into a parking lot, you know, is I think that, that absolutely plays into it. Oh, and Dave, I'm pretty sure there's no uh, non-diegetic music. That's correct. <laughs> you got a problem with I'm me? I'm just teasing. Yeah. That was a, that was a, actually a really good observation. About it was, wasn't it? It was. Yes. I'm acknowledging that. Yes. I just thought this movie is so the opposite of that. I thought it would be funny. And I misspoke. Oh. White uh, uh, Matter Out of Place is not the final film we're talking about. Oh. We're talking about one more. We got seven movies. Whew, y'all. White Building. Which I did not see. Alonzo did not see, but I did. Directed by Cambodian filmmaker uh, Kavich Neng, and I'm apologizing if I'm screwing up his name. The White Building is a real place. It is a modern apartment block in Phnom Penh. It was built in the early 1960s and demolished in 2017. So it was this huge white 
brutalist apartment structure meant to be a sort of utopian communal living space. And our director grew up there. Hmm. In fact, he made a 2019 documentary about it called Last Night I Saw You Smiling. Hmm. So, um, the history of the White Building is that, again, it was built in the 60s and it was going to be like the monument to uh, you know, communist architecture and how good and useful it, it is. But also how beautiful it could be. Right. So then comes the 70s, where the first half of the decade is the Cambodian Civil War, and the second half is the Khmer Rouge slaughtering between one and two million Cambodian citizens. It's a bit reflective in this film. It's, it's reflected a little bit in this film, although they never really go into that history. This is a narrative feature, by the way. It is not a documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a small detail in the, in the plot that talks about how long the particular family that we're following has lived in the White Building, and they mark it as having moved there in 1979, 1980, after the Khmer Rouge. Mm. So now, you know, in the and, and the film uh, is shot in uh, the location itself. And the usual stuff is happening. Uh, that we see in big cities all across the globe. People are being forced out. The structure is crumbling after all this time. And because the structure is crumbling, property developers have swooped in and they want to force people out. Going so far as to turn off the water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Which is something they do to Tiana Taylor's character. in uh, That is correct, yeah. So uh, the movie follows a young man named Nang, which is evocative of the director's name, mm. Nang, uh, played by an actor named Pisset Chun. Again, I hope I'm not killing his name too badly. And he lives there with his mother and his father. His father is unwell. His father has diabetes. But his father is also the one who is sort of representing the remaining residents uh, working to get a better buyout price from the property developers. The property developers are offering to relocate people and give them money to move out. But they're not giving them enough money to move out and still live in Phnom Penh. Ah. And that is what is happening in big cities all across the globe right now. That's what the hotel worker strike in L.A. is specifically about. Right yes. Now. It is also the subject uh, matter of a wonderful... It's wonderful, the right word, harrowing documentary that we saw that's a really great documentary called Push. Yes. A few years ago about the, globing, the global housing crisis. Yes. So this is all a, a, a process that is fueled by capital. And it's capital taking over, making it more and more difficult for anyone but the rich to live in the big cities that are gentrifying them. Making Again, policy choices that cause poverty. Again, the film is not polemical. That's my job. (laughs) That's me saying it. This film only suggests that and assumes that you already get it. So Nang has dreams. He's 19, 20, 21 years old. And what he wants is to be a famous pop star. 
So he and his friends, they have a hip-hop dance trio, and they want to go on, like, uh, Cambodia's Got Talent, whatever that's called. Right. In Cambodia, you see them rehearsing for it, auditioning for it. There's even a a really moving, sort of heartbreaking dream sequence where he dreams he's on the show, and they're winning. But his life is being... His, his coming of age is in a place where everything around him is crumbling in a literal and figurative sense. There is displacement of his friends. One of them realizes that he has to move to France if he's going to have anything resembling a successful adult life. His family is sort of clinging to the old ways, going so far as to cling to old traditional medicine to try to fix the father's diabetes. Meanwhile, he's going to lose a leg. Um, And he's, you know, the ideas he had for himself about what his adult life in Phnom Penh were going to be, those are being displaced. And those can happen to anyone, anywhere. But here they are specifically happening in a way that is tied to the fact that their home is being taken out from under them. This all happens very slowly, very quietly. This young man's life is being turned upside down by forces outside of his control, very much like the plot of A Thousand and One. Now, unlike Human Flowers of Flesh, unlike uh, uh, Matter Out of Place, this is not slow cinema. It is maybe informed by the observational qualities of slow cinema, but the shots and the setups, they are not interested in duration. The camera moves, there are characters, there's a plot, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is merely quiet and precisely controlled. It's also occasionally quite funny, too, in ways that, you know, you might not think you're going to get, but you do get them. Okay. Um, But the overall mood is a sense of sorrow and loss, and that is made all the more poignant by these dream sequences that do echo the film's real-life action. Mm -hmm. Um, And that pervasive sense of, you know, why is life turning out like this? Why are people that we don't even know controlling our existence? You know, I should be, I'm young, I should be experiencing the possibilities of the future. But instead, you know, I'm experiencing the loss of this very real in-person community. And that, of course, is one of unchecked capitals, other crimes, it distances us, it distances people from each other. It commodifies everything that we do. And we are too small as individuals to, you know, let's all pitch in and make it stop. You know, like in a in a in a silly movie, right. they would, you know, save the community center by dance. Right. You know. Um so this is a really beautiful and very sad film, but it is not a difficult film, and I know I'm very often accused of pushing difficult films on people. Uh, but the feeling I was left with watching it was you go visit the house you grew up in, 
but they tore it down and now it's a bank. Mm. And who will remember that? Yeah. What will your memories be? Do they even exist? Did these things even happen to you? There's not a physical place that you can go to and say, yes, it happened here. Right. Can someone else's money erase <laughs> your, your history? Yeah. And that's the questions this film is, is asking. Hmm. It's, I, I would be maybe hesitant to, to ask you to watch Human Flowers of Flesh, but I, I need you to watch this one. I, I will. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, it is called White Building. I think it might be the first Cambodian film I've ever seen. Hmm. which excites me. <laughs> it's one of the great things about being a film critic. Yeah. You see the world. You get to see the world. Uh, and that's the podcast. Whew. Can we save letters for next time? Because sure. I need to cook dinner. Okay. We can I'm making that. you some... We, we've given I'm them... I'm making you some mushroom-topped cheeseburgers today. We've given them some, some wonderful uh, uh, content... We're content creators. You shut up right now. And we're content about it. No, this is a long episode is what I'm saying. It's a long episode, but I want you to vow to me right now as my husband. I I, I only do so with the deepest of sarcasm. Never. I assure you. Never use the word content. No. Don't you ever speak that way to me again. (laughs) Don't talk to me or my son ever again (laughs) with the word content. Ugh. Anyway, uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this uh, exploration of uh, some smaller movies that you might or might not have known were world, out there. World cinema. We promise. Y'all. We promise. Next time. Oh, is guess what's happening? All Sunday. the hits. All the hits are Sunday. All the hits. all the biggies. Yeah. All the biggies. No toughies. Summer. <laughs> Woo! Summer movies. So you've got that to look forward to. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, do check out my reviews at thefilmverdict.com. Yes. You can also hear me over at uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network um, on uh, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire. Um, we're a YouTube show, but we're also a podcast. And I am a regular co-host on the Deck the Hallmark podcast as well. We got a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Yay, you did it. Where all the other Patreon shows are. I won't bore you with the titles. Just go there and look at them and decide if... Which one of them is right? For We've you? been doing some really fun stuff lately that's available at the one dollar level. Yeah, and one dollar a month. It's so you so know, many fun things. You should be checking that out. Uh, you will. Uh, 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 I can't even remember what that sentence was supposed oh, okay. to end like. So what I'm just going to say uh, instead. Don't. I still have other I, I, other housekeeping here. What. Pick it up. Subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Oh, yeah, that. (laughs) We'll read it on the air. You can also review us in the many other places that we stream, including Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Well, I guess maybe Stitcher's going away. Um, uh, CastBox, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Amazon Music. Um, You can uh, uh, follow us uh, on the social media at LinoleumCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Maybe even Blue Sky soon. i got to work on that. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. See what he's up to at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back soon, and until next time. Oh, it's, it's more than soon. It's Sunday. We'll be back in like four soon days. Soon is plenty. Five days. Yeah. 
Until next time. Quick like. Quick oh and, my God. Quick in a hurry. You want to say the thing, and then when you're not supposed to, now that I want you to say the thing, you won't say it. Until next time. I'm a stylist oh. here. All right? All right. Goodbye.